In 2020, little-known former government teacher Sharon McMahon, who's now known as Sharon Says So on Instagram, found her social media feeds flooded with controversial content leading up to the presidential election. This motivated her to begin sharing fact-based, nonpartisan explainer videos on her social media with the goal of informing people about the history and basic tenets of the U.S. government. Three years later, Sharon has amassed a following of more than one million dedicated folks that call themselves the Governors. Sharon explains her origin story and shares how she approaches the art of teaching and how everyone has a role to play in our democracy. I think so often we as Americans, we look to these heroes of history, right? And we view their contributions as so enormous. And you're like, I will never be Abraham Lincoln. You know, like, how do I compete with that? It's not possible. You can't compete with these giants um, that have statues and paintings and portraits. And so consequently, I think there's this tendency to feel like that will never be me. And so uh, there's no point in doing anything. But to me, um, the idea that we all can and should do something is a conversation that gets me up every morning. Hear what gives Sharon hope how she uses humor to connect with others, and hear her attempts to explain Midwestern phrases to this Texan. I'm Andrew Kaufman, and this is The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Presidential Center. A hearty Texas welcome to Sharon McMahon, also known as America's government teacher. Her at Sharon says so handle on Instagram is the go-to source for nonpartisan government lessons. And her podcast, and here's where it gets interesting, is a fantastic way to learn lessons from American history and hear from cool guests. Sharon, this is amazing. There is a, a lot of pe- there are a lot of people excited that you're here today. Oh, I'm excited. I flew all the way here for this, and it's very exciting. All the way from, uh, from Minnesota? Uh, hey. Right, well, Hey, <laughs> up there in Minnesota, the people are real nice. Well, we uh, speaking of it, there is uh, my my great friend from Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I can't do it quite right. Go Badgers! <laughs> is Hannah Abney the Bush Center's chief communications counselor? She's also the brains behind our Freedom Matters special exhibit, and who first told us, "Hey, you got you got to check out Sharon says so. She's mm-hmm. amazing." So uh, she's here today because of Hannah. So Hannah, thank you for helping out and for everything you've done. Oh, thanks, Andrew. Mm-hmm. It's always a pleasure to be here. And Sharon, it is a thrill to be on a podcast <laughs> with you. Um, I do have to say that I love your dress. Thank you very much. It is uh, like a cream linen with a green print uh, and a belted waist, and it is very attractive. Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate it. And my suit? Mm, it is acceptable. <laughs> At best. It, it even fit a few years ago when I first bought it. Uh, so it, we, we, we are here in Texas, and so there's, there's two things that Texans always want to talk about. One, um, accents, as in Texan versus uh, Midwestern. Mm. Hannah, I've, I've been trying for years to always to decipher all of your sayings. I feel like now I'm outnumbered two to well, one. Well, we should, we should just run a couple by you, maybe, mm. and see if you mm-hmm. can, you can um, see what they mean. Do you want to try that? Let's try it, but no promises for how this is going to go. Okay, Sharon, you want to go first? <laughs> um, if you were going to uh, arrive at a destination and park your car, what kind of facility might you park your car in? A garage. False. The correct answer is ramp. A, a parking ramp. ramp. That's the true. Ramp, correct answer. The ramp parking the, ramp. This thing that goes up into... And what are you doing in the garage? Driving up. Right? Up and around and around. It's a ramp. But you but you park where it's flat. But it nevertheless, the entire structure is a ramp. Okay. <laughs> oh for one. Okay, Anna, so what you got? I've got I've got one for you. 
If I said to you, if you're going to go take money out of a, what? What do you get your money out a of? A bank. No, no, no. What's the thing that spits the money out at you? An ATM. Nah, it's a time machine. T-Y-M-E. No, it's a time machine. No, that is, that is what they had in Back to the Future. That was a time machine. It's a DeLorean. It's silver. It has, it's it not, has doors that go up. It's not, man. It's not. Time machine. Time machine. T-Y-M-E. That's, 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 they, that might be like a Milwaukee, Wisconsin thing. Okay. That mm. might not be like permeating the Midwest. Is it related to a brand? Mm-hmm. A yeah. time brand? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. never heard of that. I can see that. Oh, for two. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have one more for you. Okay. Okay. If I say to you, yeah, no, for sure. What does that mean? I, I'm probably just going to walk away and, <laughs> and try again another day. Well, there's, so, no, there's no right answer. They'd be so sad because it means 100% yes. Like, mm-hmm. absolutely. But also, for sure, yeah, no. means something to, completely different. Wait, what did you say? <laughs> what do you think I said? Do you Wait, remember? You she said, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. I said, for sure, yeah, no. Those mean completely They're different the opposite. things. They're the opposite thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, also means something very different mm-hmm. than yeah, no, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am I am better as a Texan. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Andrew, finally, when you see me in the hallway and you're like, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, living the dream. Mm-hmm. And you usually give me a high five. Yeah. And really what should be happening in that circumstance is that you are calling somebody because it is the lowest of the low. Mm. Wait, if what? I have told you I'm living the dream, nope. we are, That's, we've that got a means problem. your day is going really badly because <laughs> oh, no. nobody would want to live this dream. Oh no, for, for 10 years I've been thinking you're having a good day. <laughs> we've worked you together know, a long time. living the dream does not mean I am excited to be here right now. That's not what that means. So hopefully, the dream. hopefully Sharon's not actually living the dream right now. <laughs> wow. She is thrilled to be here. And hopefully this is this. Hopefully you're having a, a good stay at the Bush Center, <laughs> at the Hotel Bush Center so far. I am. And we we hope we make your stay interesting. Uh, but you are deep in the heart of Texas, mm-hmm. as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. And if you are not, you are not in Texas, unless we talk about the one thing all Texans want to talk about. So can we secede or not? What's the deal? <laughs> let me let me tell you. Okay, buckle up. I have been asked this question uh, approximately 350 million times. And the answer has always been and will always be, the answer is no. (laughs) Texas cannot secede. Uh, And why it wants to is beyond me. What are you going to do with the 130,000 active duty members of the United States military that work here? What's going to happen with them? Everybody, all of the Texans are just going to fight back against the tanks that are already here? What is, how would that even work? Aside from the logistical issues of what are you going to do about all of the ports and the airports and the military bases and the federal land, uh, aside from all of that, uh, the answer is just no, because y'all tried and you failed. Okay, you already tried it and we already know the answer. Right, the Civil War, you know, (laughs) history is written by the victors and the Civil War was won by the North Mm. or by the Union, excuse me. And Mm. that's a good point. We, I'm not sure where where it comes from. I know as a Texan, native Texan, I've never, I've never wanted to secede. I Mm. I think the Union is a beautiful, Union is a beautiful thing and um, we'd be lost without the rest of it. Mm. Um, we are the best state. That's that. Yeah. That I'm, much is clear. I'm willing but. to allow you state pride. I'm willing to allow you to be like, listen, I love Texas the most. It's the best. That's completely fine with me. Uh, I'm. I like Minnesota. That's where I'm from. Yeah. You know, and that land makes, of a thousand lakes. Right. Try ten thousand lakes. <laughs> try ten thousand lakes. I'm, I'm new will- here. <laughs> I'm willing to concede that everyone's allowed their favorite. But we're all entitled to our own opinions, but we're not all entitled to our own facts. And the facts do not support Texas or any state 
from that they can secede. And that is what Sharon Sesso is all about. It's, it's we are, you know, facts have gotten to be such a, a commodity these days mm. that uh, a, a, a hard to come by commodity sometimes. Mm. Mm. So we're 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 grateful for your service of trying to spread facts because uh, there's plenty of places to go for opinions these days. True enough. But, um, but so you're you are um, just an amazing story, and. You know, I know I came into it late. Like I've only been, I've been listening to your podcast very recently and mm. following you recently. And so I know the stories out there is not new, but what is the Sharon origin story? Mm. How did, how did this come to be? Cause there's, there's a buzz in this building among staff members <laughs> that you're here that I think the last time was a buzz like this, Bono was here. And it's, <laughs> she's not kidding. It's, it's real. Like where's, where's Sharon going to be? Am I going to get to see her? Is Aww. she going to be around? Oh, and probably and, see me. I'm pretty tall. It's easy to spot me <laughs> from across the room. I uh, have blonde hair and I'm six feet tall, so it's not hard to see me. Um, the origin story is that I'm a longtime government teacher, right? So I have been answering these kinds of questions for uh, people for decades. Um, and my goal always in the classroom was to help students feel uh, like they could think for themselves. Because once you leave my classroom, um, I'm not here to help you. You got to figure this out on your own, right? And unless you have some skills about how to actually think, um, you're not going to get particularly far in this endeavor. So I've never cared that much about producing, uh, you know, crops of students who were willing to parrot my beliefs back to me. That's actually not interesting to me at all. I would much rather have a conversation with somebody who is thoughtful, but perhaps believes something different than I do. Um, then just ha- hear hear what I already believe, just repeat it over and over. Um, so for a long time, I was a teacher. I ran other businesses. I you know, but I have always been a very interested observer. Um, always been the person that people would call and be like. And so, uh, what exactly is the county commissioner? <laughs> <You know? laughs> what am I voting for exactly? Yeah, I what is the water board? Okay, is this like a torture or why am I voting on it? You know, like Waterboard is a legitimate office in some <laughs> rural areas. Um, so during 2020, which was uh, everyone's favorite year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone's favorite. Grand, year of grand 2020. Um, history will love it. Um, I found myself with extra time on my hands, as did many Americans. Um, and I noticed that as we were sneaking up into the run, the run up of the 2020 election, that um, just, just you know, heading in onto Facebook in the morning, it was like trying to, you know, dodge bullets and like incoming missiles it was so contentious. But I really noticed how many people truly did not understand some of the basic fundamental tenets of uh, the United States system of government. Forget who you want to vote for. Like, it, just set that to the side. Uh, we all, again, that's an opinion. The facts are, here is how the system works. Here is what is uh, what the Constitution says. Here is what the Electoral College is. So I noticed that people were very, very confused about just the facts of the matter. So I started making some little videos, thinking to myself, well, maybe one of my friends who's, you know, encounters a piece of misinformation online maybe they would just grab the link and repost it, mm-hmm. right? I can't personally fight all of the misinformation. It is too much of it. But if there was a video that you could be like, just watch this, and it explains how it works, maybe that would have some longevity or would be useful to somebody. So that's really the genesis is I started making some little nonpartisan, fact-based, easy-to-understand explainer videos, and uh, it snowballed. 
Well, a running theme in your podcast episodes is, and I think you and David are going to talk about this later this afternoon, um, but is the role of libraries, public libraries Mm. and librarians Mm. and how Mm. important it is to bring students into libraries Mm -hmm. and children into libraries and also adults into libraries Mm -hmm. um, to read and to to read different perspectives. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the role Mm. that libraries have played in your life and also reading and what Mm. that's meant for you. I have such a fondness for libraries. I really do. Like I fully credit... uh, free access to a public library with being uh, who I am today, truly. Uh, There are very short lists of things. And most people would be like, my parents, you know, et cetera. For me, the public library is one of those things. I grew up a block and a half from a a branch library that was open like two days every other week. Uh, And then we had a large library downtown. And when I got to be old enough, my mom would just drop me off there and come back and pick me up later. Or I would take the bus to the downtown library and and take it home. And our rule was always that uh, I could check out as many books as I could carry. Um, But the role of the library in my life was that I I had the ability to uh, really dive deep on any topic, the topic du jour, whatever it was. You know, some of the topics that I was really interested in growing up were things like holidays around the world. Hey, sounds fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I loved looking at pictures of how holidays around the world were celebrated. The Amish, that's interesting. You know what I mean? Like, the quilts are interesting. I had a thing with quilts. Uh, vegetarian cooking. I wasn't a vegetarian, but I liked reading cookbooks, <laughs> right? So huh. uh, these are things that, you know, like my parents didn't have the means to be like, let's get, let's go purchase this yeah. child a bunch of books on the Amish and vegetarian cooking. First aid was another one. I <laughs> I was very interested in like a wilderness first aid scenario in which I would need to apply a tourniquet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How would you apply a tourniquet in this first aid scenario? That's right. You would have to rip, rip a shred of your clothing off, right? Like okay. you'd have to take your shirt off and rip a shred of it and, you know, tie it, get a stick, tighten it, right? Like, this is useful. I spend no time in the wilderness, but I'm ready (laughs) if I need to. If there's no wilderness, Minnesota's not wilderness? Well, there's plenty. I just, I like Wi-Fi and pumpy beds. Um, And heat. And and, and heat, And heat, right. wool socks and all of those things. Like heat, come to Texas. (laughs) So, anyway, all that to say, um, the public library is the place uh, where information is completely, uh, you have the complete democracy of information. And uh, so many Americans, so many great Americans uh, credit reading, love of books, access to libraries as being so formative in who they are. Uh, And I really feel the same. So building off of that, you know, we just toured our, our special exhibition here, and which is sort of at the core about analyzing this concept of freedom. And we went back to the text, we went back to the facts, and in a lot of ways, we were looking at original sort of primary source documents, like the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. But we were also looking at the text of people's perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, Martin Luther King, Susan B. Anthony, sort of these perspectives. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about it. I've heard you talk on your, um, on your podcast before about how we 
introduce concepts to kids in particular, but also to adults where we can celebrate the things that are there to be celebrated and at the same time talk about the things that maybe are harder to discuss, mm. maybe more mm. difficult to talk about. Um, what does it mean when we do that? When was it, what does it mean when we teach our kids how to mm. do that? What, is that ha- what happens there? I hear from so many people how much they wrestle with this issue, that we want to be able to celebrate people for their contributions. Um, But it does seem like for many years, we have gone very far afield, and we have been unwilling to talk about anybody's um, potential, you know, bad decisions, poor choices, Mm -hmm. you know, like, how do we take a character from history like George Washington, who was foundational to America, America would not be what it is without him. um, And how do we reconcile this incredible leadership where he cautions against excess partisanship, and he you know, uh, voluntarily relinquishes power, which is just this idea had never even been considered before. How do we reconcile this with this idea that he enslaved people, right? Like, this is something that Americans and people around the world truly wrestle with on a daily basis. And um, I think one of the keys that I'm hearing from people that I think is an important uh, thing to consider is the totality of somebody's contributions, right? Like we can celebrate and recognize George Washington for what he did while also not turning our face away from the other things that he did. Also not pretending that he didn't enslave people. Also not pretending that he, you know, didn't pay the enslaved for their teeth so that he could have dentures. Both of those things are true at the same time. And I think we, uh, you know, as people, who uh, value history are, I think the the pendulum is starting to turn Mm -hmm. towards this idea that it's not either you're a hero or you're a villain. Mm -hmm. For so long, it's been one or the other. You're a hero or a villain. And I think people are now sort of realizing that nearly everyone is both. uh, And they are, they're both in varying combinations, but there's probably almost no one from history who would look back and think, oh, I wish I, I wish I hadn't made that choice. I wish I didn't choose that. Um, we all have that from our own personal lives, right? We just don't live our lives in the public eye the way so many people, uh, you know, uh, from history have, where our lives are dissected in the same way that mm-hmm. theirs are. So to me, it's not, it's not an, an or equation, it's an and. Mm-hmm. Thank you. What I love listening to your podcast and and to this to this point, you you take these characters from history and make them kind of come to life. And mm. like we, I was just listening to your uh, series on on the Civil War that's going on mm. right now, where Lincoln, we you know we all kind of think of Lincoln as oh he's the anti slavery president, mm-hmm. but he he didn't start off as being Mm-mm. as being that way. He evolved as a person. How you know was that? decision to kind of tell history through these people's stories intentional, or was it just the way you connected to history personally? Like, how, mm. how did that come about? Mm. I do think there's something inherent in human nature that makes us connect to people rather than just events, right? You know, like, yeah, some events are really exciting and interesting, but if you can attach uh, a person to it that you care about or that you are interested in, it inherently makes you understand it uh, and cl- and retain those facts better if you are interested or care about that individual. So for me, I find it much more effective uh, to be able to understand big historic concepts if I can understand some of the characters that are in in those mm-hmm. stories. Um, you know, thinking about the revolution, for example, it's it's far more interesting for me to think about, uh, you know, characters like, you know, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr and their their hate, love-hate relationship with each other over the years uh, than it is just to think about, you know, the battles 
<laughs> and the muskets and the marching, you know, like that to me is less, not that it's not important, but less interesting. So I do like to tell stories using characters from history as the on-ramp to talk about, um, to talk about a larger concept. And I think people really, I'm finding that people really respond to that, that they can, when you can connect to somebody that just makes the time period come alive, you can imagine what it was like to be that person, or you can imagine like, oh, what would I do if that was my dad? Or you can think if you're thinking about how Abraham Lincoln evolved he initially opposed slavery, but he was never for equality, you know, and there's a difference between opposing slavery and, and working for true equality. Uh, and his, his roles and his thoughts changed over time. He was influenced by other people who met with him and conveyed important things to him. Um, and I think we can all see ourselves in that too. We all want to be the person who is able to evolve and grow and be better than we were five years ago. So when we can uh, connect to a character and we can imagine ourselves in a similar scenario, I find that not just interesting, but also really instructive. Mm -hmm. So you told Charlie Behrens that you don't consider yourself a journalist. No. But I've been, I always just want to know if you've ever changed your mind on that at all. Because mm. when I listen to your, especially sort of your episodic podcasts, it just feels like really good journalism mm. to me, Sharon. I don't know. I mean... I've, I've never considered myself, I never have thought of myself as a journalist. I've always thought of myself, still think of myself as a teacher. teacher. I really do. Um, I, that's not to say that what we do on the show um, isn't a form of historic journalism. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not to say that we don't as a team engage in a form of journalism, investig historic investigative journalism, uh, a form of being a documentarian. But I don't, I would never be like... I mean, I'll never say never, but today, <laughs> I would never be like, I'm Sharon McMahon and I'm a journalist, you know, like for whatever reason, that mantle just doesn't feel right on my shoulders. You're a teacher. Yeah. Before. Yeah. So talking about, speaking about teaching, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you use humor to connect with people, mm -hmm. especially how you use humor to connect with your students. Mm. Humor has always been my vehicle of choice uh, because it comes naturally to me. And people, um, all teachers, have something that they're uniquely good at, right? Um, my daughter has a teacher right now who is uniquely good at being very uh, serious. And the children look at him with these big eyes and they take what he, say, what he says very, very seriously. And he calls each of them scholars. Oh, I love now, that. Now, scholars. Uh, what would be a way that we could handle this situation? And he speaks in this very kind of quiet, very understated way that the children all like listen to with rapt attention. Just lean in. They do. And they're like, when you speak so quietly, it makes me have to pay careful attention. Mm hmm that is not how I would play that game. <laughs> and that's okay. I think that's great. I think it's great because we need all of those different skill sets, right? Yeah. We need uh, people who can connect to individuals on different levels. So I fully adore and respect that that's his methodology. And that's what he's uniquely good at. Um, but humor has always been, um, I have found that if I can, if I say it in a certain, in a certain voice, or I turn on the Minnesota accent to like level 11, that is always inherently more interesting to a group of students um, than being like, okay, and let's talk about the legislative branch. 
church and to speak, <laughs> to whisper quietly. That's not interesting. But if you can be like, okay, books are on the tables and we're talking about the legislative branch. That's inherently more interesting to listen to. It just is. I think people who are not from the Midwest, and in particular, maybe Wisconsin and Minnesota, anytime you turn on the O's, oh, no. it's just oh, hilarious real. to them. They, oh, can't, they cannot stop laughing about it. It's always just an easy laugh, really. It, it totally is. Students would raise their hand, and if something was getting like too dense for them, they'd be like... Can you talk about this in your accent? (laughs) (laughs) So doing voices and faces and like making jokes truly does just come very naturally to me. And that's my natural skill set, right? Whereas my daughter's teacher has a different skill set. And I think that's fantastic. But um, one of the things that I found incredibly helpful in the classroom is using humor as a tool to uh, uh, for classroom management Mm -hmm. to control the environment. Um, it feels very different when somebody <clears throat> feels very different when somebody says, I need you to sit down. than when somebody is like, you're not like standing right now, are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Are you standing up? What are you doing right now? That, but the same message is conveyed, yeah. right? Like, Hey, you need to go put your booty in that chair right now. Um, you immediately, you don't feel on guard in the same way. It feels much less confrontational, uh, but yet the same message is conveyed that I see what you're doing and you need to stop it, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so just, just using it as a way of connecting with students who like there is, by the way, there is no tougher audience than adolescent girls, (laughs) truly, um, Having been an adolescent boy, I can attest. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps number two is an adolescent boy because they have not learned the social pressures of politely chuckle when someone makes a joke. You know what I mean? Like as an adult, you know you're supposed to politely chuckle, and if you don't, then it's awkward, right? Yeah, there <laughs> right is. There. <laughs> yeah, awkward like chuckle. hello, there is no such thing as like they don't have that. Like oh, I politely chuckle, <laughs> good one. <laughs> they will just literally just stare at you. Like are you a are you a psychopath? Like ew. 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 You know what I mean? Ew. <laughs> if you're not, if you're not legitimately funny, then you're just going to get blank stares and ew. So uh, to be able to get a group of 16-year-olds to laugh, it, that is a singular accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you're not a journalist. You're a teacher. But mm. Do you think you're a historian? Mm. I don't know. I also struggle calling myself with that. I also struggle calling myself that word. To me, historian um, conjures a level of academic achievement. You know, like I have my PhD in, you know, Civil War history. Um, And I know that some people call themselves historians because they are uh, lifelong students of history and they're committed to this, you know, committed to this genre. And I'm not going to you know, belittle them and say, you're not a real historian because there's not actually like, here's the governing body of real historians, (laughs) you know, where there's some, we've, it's not like a licensed profession, like being a medical doctor is. Um, so I'm not going to berate somebody who is, who says that, but to me, a historian is somebody who has achieved some kind of terminal degree in a, in a historic, uh, field of their choice uh, has earned the right to say they're a historian. Well, then to follow up on that, I'll, I'll, ask a, I'll ask the question slightly differently given that. But so, and, you're, and again, I was just listening to the Civil War series this past weekend, and you, you talked about 
a lot of the things that you expect to talk about in the Civil War. One of the things he talked about was the technological advancement and the societal advancements mm-hmm. that were happening at the same time. We know it as an era of division, an era mm-hmm. of war. Um, and right now we have a lot of division in our country, but there are also a lot of things happening. How do you think historians are going to look at this period mm-hmm. of time? Oh, I what is Sharon in 30-year oh, podcast saying Man, I have asked myself this question a lot of times. Uh, I've asked myself, what are historians going to call uh, the time period of like 2020 to 2022 when we're thinking about like the pandemic mm-hmm. and all of the associated uh, world events that happened with the pandemic? What are historians going to call it? Because you know there's going to be... A name. The dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, the dumpster yeah. fire inside of a train wreck, inside of a, yes. Um, yeah, what will it be called? I've asked myself that question many times. Um, I do think this is going to be absolutely a moment that will be in history books. You know, we think about 19 or 1861 to 1865. Every kid learns that. Every kid learns 1941 to 1945. These little tiny, you know, microcosms of where something pivotal in the world occurred that we need to learn about. This will be one of those times. And this is also the time that historians will look back on and uh, we will ask ourselves or we will examine. To what extent did America choose democracy and freedom versus authoritarianism? This is America's moment. This is the moment when we will we will decide as a nation collectively in which direction we will head. And the answer to that question, of course, will inform how historians view it. Uh, you know how we look back on the past uh, changes as as times change. So, you know, how we might view this time period in five years is going to look different than how you might do view it in 50 years. Mm-hmm. But this is a, a moment in which America must choose. You know, one of the things that you've been able to do really successfully with your Instagram following, I think, is mobilize people to the common good. Mm. And I, I think I was telling Andrew earlier today you know, I went back and was watching the video that you, where you first interviewed Carlos Whitaker about mm, mm-hmm. relieving, you know, the debt from them, mm-hmm. and then thinking about what he did this past MLK mm-hmm. Day in terms mm-hmm. of passing the money on forward, or more money from from his his group, and I I wonder what gives you hope. I mean, we talk about this being America's moment. Does that Instagram? Do those governors give you mm. hope? Oh my gosh, yes, so much. There's nobody nicer than a group of governors. You know, like they will, they they. They're just, they're a special group of people. But yes, they absolutely do. And you know what? History gives me hope. I look back on um, this great community of ancestors, many of whom you have featured in your exhibits here, and seeing the the courage and fortitude that they exhibited throughout history, given circumstances that, you know, ostensibly are far worse than the ones we are facing in many ways today. Um and I, it gives me hope to look back at how much we have overcome as a country. Um, and, and also seeing how much people actually do care. Uh, that's not what's reported on in the news. It'll, you know, like, yes, Good Morning America will invite me on to talk about, you know, how I raised a million dollars for teachers in one weekend. You know, like those kind of feel-good stories. Yes. Uh, but that's not going to be tonight's top headline. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's not what's going to air on every cable news station 24 hours a day. So, of course, this idea of, you know, like if it bleeds, it leads. That uh, It's understandable. But it, so when, you, when that is what you're consuming all day, every day, it can be very difficult to feel that sense of, uh, hope mm-hmm. and that sense of like we're going to be okay, mm-hmm. and 
one of the things that work doing this work has uh, taught me over and over is that most people truly do care about each other. They truly do want to make the world a better place. They dislike this reflection that they see when they, you know, look into this sort of looking glass of America. They dislike that it looks um, so divisive and chaotic and mean. That's not something most Americans want. And given an opportunity to step up and do something different, that is what they want. Uh, And I think finding those kind of opportunities is actually going to be um, really pivotal into sort of turning the tide away from this direction that many Americans feel is like not a good direction into a direction that seems more hopeful and forward focused. Yeah. Compassionate. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're running, starting to run low on time, but we always love to ask our guests. This was, this was actually Hannah's idea at the start of this podcast, was to always ask guests on their way out. Um, what is one question that you've never been asked that you wish you would be asked? And you've been asked a million questions on Instagram. <laughs> I've, I've, the, the box where you put in your questions, yes. there's been a lot of questions. So this <laughs> might take you a question. second. That's a question. Um, yeah, I get asked when, anytime I put up a question box on Instagram, um, I, I can scroll indefinitely and never reach the bottom of the question. So, I mean, it's literally, you know, maybe three to 5,000 questions per day I'm asked. So that's a, that's a tall order. (laughs) Most people are not asked 5,000, literal 5,000 questions a day. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I, you know, wish there were, um, you know, sort of more conversations around um, is about this idea that everybody has an important role to play in the American experiment and, and figuring out what your own, you know, role is, I think is a conversation that I love to have. I love to help people or talk about or answer people's questions because I think so often we as Americans, we look to these heroes of history, right? And we view their contributions as so enormous. And you're like, I will never be Abraham Lincoln. You know, like, how do I compete with that? It's not possible. You can't compete with these giants um, that have statues and paintings and portraits. And so consequently, I think there's this tendency to feel like that will never be me. And so uh, there's no point in doing anything. But to me, Um, the idea that we all can and should do something is a conversation that gets me up every morning. Um, Sometimes when I ask myself, what is the thing that I can do today? Sometimes the answer is, today I can record this podcast episode because somebody needs to hear it. Um, Sometimes the answer is, today I can raise money to give to teachers so they have what they need in their classrooms. Sometimes the answer is um, I can help explain a particularly difficult situation for somebody so they can understand it and make informed decisions. That that's, might not be what your role in the American experiment is or what your role is. And I think that's fantastic. And I, I love thinking about how um, everyone has something that nobody else has and we are all better for everybody's individual contributions. That's that's the American spirit in, mm. in, in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, Hannah, when you we were joking earlier about you know Wisconsin and the Midwest, and but it's everybody's got that unique perspective, and and yeah. being able to hear it and get that story mm. out there just shows that mm-hmm. like that that you're here 
having made a big difference. Mm. Like people love hearing hearing your words. Like we were, we just walked through the museum and people were coming up and saying hello. And what yeah, difference from New you Mexico. Made. Mm. People came from oh, New, Mexico New Mexico to come Mexico? tonight. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's adorable. Isn't that nice? I love that. And I it's know. all all because. You did something that anybody else can do. They, mm-hmm. they, they were their, their authentic selves online. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good lesson mm-hmm. for all of us. Is is We can all do uh, what we can, where we are, with the resources available to us. My contribution is not going to be David Rubenstein's contribution. I don't have those kind of connections and resources, right? His contribution is different than mine. Um, I don't see David answering 5,000 questions a day on Instagram. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're going to, we're going to work on that though. <laughs> My contribution is different than his, but you know, I wouldn't want to cut out his contribution. What he's contributing is significant, right? So this idea that we all have a different, uh, place and different number of resources. And that changes over time. If you have a brand new baby at home, your capacity, your resources are going to be different than if you are me, where my, you know, youngest child is in fifth grade. And so I have a different, you know, amount of time and energy and resources than somebody with little ones at home. All that to say, we can all do what we can, where we are with the resources available to us. Well, we can't thank you enough for being here, traveling down from Minnesota. Minnesota. I hope I said that right, to uh, to join us and to join us and David Rubenstein on stage mm. and engage at the Bush Center. Thank you. Hannah, thank you for helping also. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Sharon, thank for being you. here. Really appreciate it. Check out David Rubenstein, Sharon McMahon, and Bush Center CEO Ken Hirsch at www.bushcenter.org slash Freedom Matters Engage. And learn more about our Freedom Matters special exhibit at www.bushcenter.org slash Freedom Matters. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or send us a note on social media. We're at the Bush Center on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for listening.